Second part of Acts chapter 3. Anybody want to give me a summary of what we've learned so far? What we've seen so far? Or am I going to have to do it? Huh? Yeah, I guess so. (laughs) Alright, so Acts, so far, Jesus ascended to heaven. He gave the disciples command to be witnesses. We saw that it was a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy that they would be his witnesses from Isaiah. We looked at that. And then they commanded to wait in Jerusalem for Pentecost. Pentecost came. We saw the connections between the Old Testament prophecies that the prophets were given about the the times when the, uh, the Lord's kingdom would come and how they connect with Pentecost. We connected those things and saw them how it was fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. And then we saw... Uh, at the beginning of Acts chapter 3, the Peter and John went off into the temple at the time of prayer to both pray and to do what Christ commissioned them to do, be witnesses. And we can see that they were going um, during that specific time because that's when all the people would be there. And uh, perhaps, kind of, kind of just, I'm kind of just uh, thinking out loud, but per- I'm thinking that they would have went to. Uh, to tell people about the perfect sacrifice of Christ. And when they got there, the dude, the Ben, uh, what you laughing at? Don't be laughing. Uh, the, the crippled guy that had been crippled for, we're going to see in chapter 4 that he was over 40 years old and he's been crippled since birth. So he had been crippled all this time, was being, let, was being brought to the gate called Beautiful and he was laid there every day to, to beg alms and Peter and John healed him. You know the story. Silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give to thee. And so now the guy's healed. And so what we're going to see here at the rest of chapter 3, we'll probably just finish chapter 3 today, is you're going to see the exact same thing here that you saw at Pentecost. And we're going to continue to see these these events over and over and over again. There is, there is I'm making a general statement here. I, I'm, I may have to... I'm pretty sure I'm right. I'm going to have to check to make sure. But there's no miracle that goes on in Acts that is not followed by some kind of sermon, some kind of exhortation, some kind of pointing toward Jesus as Savior and Lord, as Messiah. And what we're going to see here in this text is that second part of chapter 3, Peter is going to stand up as all these people are gathered. They've seen this guy sitting and begging all these years. Who knows how long he'd been begging uh, chapter 4 says he was over 40, and chapter 3 says he had been uh, lame since birth. So who knows how long he'd been sitting there at the gate called Beautiful. It could have been, could have been all his life. So they knew who he was. They knew he was the lame man that always sits at the gate at this time. And so when they saw him leaping and jumping and praising God and all these things, they, um, you know, it was a big to-do. They all came to see what was going on. They all came to check it out. And when that happened, Peter had the opportunity to stand up and he started preaching. He started preaching uh, about, uh, about how this man was healed. What do, you think the, what do you think the topic of his sermon was? Come on. That's not a trick question. What was the topic of his sermon? What was the topic of every sermon in Acts? Resurrection. Yes, yeah, Jesus, the resurrection, the death, burial, and resurrection. 
And so he's not just a, he's not just nowhere in Acts are they just preaching about, hey guys, y'all, come on, let's do better and let's all get. It's always the cross, always the resurrection, always what Jesus did. Come to him, uh, trust in him. And that's what Peter's going to do here. What we're seeing here is not just, hey, I'm going to make this guy whole. I'm going to let him walk, you know. It's not, it's not the purpose of the miracle. The miracle is to show that the kingdom of God, the perfect kingdom, has broken into reality. It's not consummated. It's not perfect. We still live in a fallen world. We still live in a world full of sickness, full of suffering, full of all kind of things. But in the ministry of Christ, as the preaching is going forward, as the gospel is going forward, uh, the apostles are doing these signs and wonders, and they're doing them. Peter's specifically going to point to say that Jesus did this. Uh, it wasn't me that did this, what Peter's going to say. It was Jesus that did this. Uh, these things are going on to show that the, the kingdom is giving us glimpses of what the kingdom of God is like. When the kingdom's consummated, all things are made new at the end of history. It's not going to be any, it's not going to be any lame people. It's not going to be any more suffering. It's not going to be any more hurting. Not going to be any more. You know, that's going to when the kingdom's consummated and all things come to an end, it's going to be perfection. And so, what he's doing is he's showing us little glimpses. Uh, he's showing us that this kingdom is breaking in. <clears throat> Remember, we talked about that we live in what what people call the already and the not yet. Already, the kingdom of God has come. Already we have victory in Christ. Already we have all the promises of God. But we still live in a not yet. Uh, not yet are they perfectly fulfilled. Not yet is the creation perfectly redeemed and restored. Not yet are we free from our uh, fleshly bodies that we live in that are going to get old and decay and those kind of things. And so, <clears throat> excuse me, <coughs> one more time. What we're going to see is that this is what Peter is going to stand up and he's going to preach Jesus and he's going to preach the kingdom of God and show them that this is how this had happened. And just like he did at Pentecost, at Pentecost 3,000 people came to know Jesus, became part of the kingdom of God. Uh, on, on this particular occasion, we're going to see that another four or five thousand came. So Peter's standing up in the temple at the time of the prayer at the temple complex out under Solomon's portico. He's standing there and he's preaching. But don't get the idea that it's just like 20, 30 people standing around. That thousands of people came and gathered around him. They all knew they, that this was a notable miracle. It was a sign that everybody had seen. There was thousands there. And when he preached, thousands came to know Christ. So, if there's uh, uh, any questions, just uh, ask as we go. Verse 11 is where we'll start. And I'm going to try to get through the rest of the chapter, which is, what, 26 verses? Yeah. I don't think it's too long. Okay, so the guy's healed. He's jumping around. He's leaping. And remember we showed that that was a prophecy from Isaiah. So when the, when the Messiah comes, when the kingdom comes, the lame will leap and the blind will see and all the... And so that was fulfilled. Verse 11 says, And as the lame man, which was healed, held Peter and John, he was holding on to Peter and John, which is kind of strange sounding to us, but you can just imagine how grateful the dude was. Remember, we said that this is not a guy who used to walk and then all of a sudden became crippled. He had never known what it was like to walk. He had never known what it was like to stand up or to be, uh, if you want to call it normal, as far as just walking around and being able to do. He'd never known that. And then all of a sudden, here comes Peter and John in the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. And he can walk. So he had, this was something he'd never experienced before. So it says, 
While he was clinging onto them, while he held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's, greatly wondering. They were, they were wanting to see what had happened. They want an explanation. They want to know what this great sign, this, this great wonder, this great miracle uh, was done. And it kind of looked like... Can you imagine, okay, Peter and John are, they're walking, they walk from the gate called Beautiful to Solomon's uh, Port, Solomon's Portico in, in the temple complex. And as they're walking, this guy is jumping around, he is praising God, he is giving glory to God, he's, you know, hallelujah. And imagine what he was doing, the guy that had never walked before is, is, is doing all these things. I'm sure Peter and John were excited with him. I'm sure they weren't. You know, I get the picture. You ever seen the, the those cartoons with the two little dogs and the, the big dogs walking and the little was like, hey, Spike, what are we going to do, Spike? What are we going to do? Just jumping around. He said, I don't think it was like, I don't think Peter and John were like, yeah, okay, calm down. It's okay. You know, we're going to I think they were rejoicing with him and it says they were holding on. He was holding on to him. He's probably hugging them. He, I mean, there's there's no end to how much excitement that this guy felt. He had been healed. He had been made whole for the first time in his life. And because this guy was holding on to Peter and John, because he was he was praising God and he was just all about, you know, thanking them maybe, you know, who knows what. Because of all this, these people started gathering around and it looked like Peter and John were the miracle workers, didn't it? It looked like Peter and John were... <clears throat> were prophets, or so to speak. Now, remember, this is a time when no prophet had shown up uh, for 400 years. You know, there was nobody. Then all of a sudden, there's John the Baptist, and then, of course, Jesus came after John the Baptist. But uh, uh, up until that time, 400 years gone by, no prophets, no word from God, no nothing. And so here is these two men that it looks like, for all intents and purposes, they have healed somebody in the temple complex. It's, it's an exciting thing. It's an exciting time. Let's go see what this guy's got to say. Let's go see this thing that has happened. Well, the first thing that Peter does is he points the attention away from himself. He says, it's not me that did this. I did not do this. Verse 12 says, uh, and when Peter saw it, he saw the people coming. He saw the crowd moving in. He saw what was going on. He answered unto the people, ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Or why look ye so earnest on us as though by our own power or holiness we had made this man to walk? Okay, so first thing he does is took no credit. Now, think about this for a minute. Even today, even today, you got people in the healing ministry or, or, or whatever, and and you know, it's they're claiming that you know maybe they got a special call from God, a special touch from God, a special whatever. You know, their prayers do special things that other people's prayers don't do. And all. Peter, the apostle of of Christ, the head of the church at this time. He denies all that. He said it's not by our power and it's not by our holiness. He said it's not that I'm just so, you know, it's not that I'm just closer to God than all y'all. Or I'm just closer to God than, than John. John's standing right next to him. Uh, it's not by his power. It's not by his goodness. He doesn't have a special touch that nobody else has. You know, he what he's going to do later on, we're going to see in this chapter, he says it is by faith in the name of Jesus that this man has been made 
whole. It's not because Peter's so awesome or because he's got some kind of great power or some kind of you know connection with God that other people don't have. Uh, he, he makes sure to let them know that it's not our power, which is pretty common. Most people would say, you know, it's not me doing this, God, God. But it's not his holiness either. It's not his goodness. God's not looking down and saying, Peter, Peter's a lot more holier than the rest of you guys, so I'm going to give him this, this power, this gift, this whatever. Uh, it's not nothing to do with that. We're going to see that it's faith in the name. It's faith in the name of Jesus that did that. Now, think about this. All these people, there's thousands of them. We're going to see that in a minute too. All these people came to the temple to worship God. They came to the temple to pray to God. It was a time of prayer. Uh, Three o'clock time was the time when they also offered sacrifices. And so they came to the temple to offer their worship. They came to serve God. People were streaming in to make their prayers and to do all their things. As as, As far as anybody looking outside observers would look and see, these people were God people. They were, you know, trying to their best to serve God, trying their best to do what they were supposed to do, to love God and all these things. And so uh, when when they came to pray to God, that they didn't expect that God was going to actually move in their midst. And that's exactly what God did. God, through Peter and John, in the name of Jesus, by faith in his name, God moved and God healed this man who had been sitting there for who knows how long. It could have been decades that he had been sitting at this gate. You know, every, every day priests and, and godly men and women and families and, and this guy had been sitting at this gate and every day they walked past him. You know, I mean, they might have given him money. They might have given him alms. That was something that people did, you know, at the time. But nobody could help him. Nobody could heal him. And even, I mean, I want to think the guy's been sitting there so long. I I can remember back in the Gospels when Jesus stood up in the temple complex and preached. I can remember when Jesus walked into the complex and started flipping over tables and throwing stuff. I I can remember all kind of things that Jesus, maybe this guy had often seen Jesus and didn't know who he was or had heard some of the things that he was saying. But here comes, here comes Peter and John and they give him what nobody else could give him. I mean, Jesus could have healed him, but what I'm saying is he was sitting there through all of this, through all of his life, and they gave him what nothing else could give him. No religion could give him, no people streaming into the time of prayer, no priests, no whatever, no animal sacrifices. They gave him what no one else could give him. God had moved among them, and it really shocked everybody. They come streaming over to Peter and John. You think... We kind of we kind of act like that sometimes when we come to church, we come to uh, worship. You know, we we're here and we're we're doing what we're supposed to do, and this is what we always do. And and we may even you know I'm, I'm not saying we're doing anything wrong or that you know you're not coming with the right attitude. Whatever, even if we do come, you know, with a right attitude, with the right heart, really wanting to worship God, really wanting to do. I mean. We often don't really expect him to move, you know, uh, 1230 or so I should be eating at the Dairy Queen. You know, I don't really expect God to 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 show up and change people's hearts and lives and all those kind of things. And and uh, it, don't even pretend like y'all ain't guilty of like when we sing like 12 minute song at the end. And then, like, at minute 12, 12 minutes and 30 seconds, somebody walks down front. It's like, what have you been doing, man? We've been singing 12 minutes. You could have come before now. 
You know, we don't really want God to move. We want we want what we want. We want to hurry up and get done. We want to come and do our prayers and do our thing and do our this make get my duty out of the way and get my stuff done and and then go home. And that's what uh, maybe that's what all these people were doing. And when God moved, it astounded them. They wanted to see this thing. They wanted to to get around this thing. And they were not ready for what Peter told them because he laid it down on them. You know, he laid it down on them. And one of the things I want you to see, I'm kind of rambling right now, but one of the things I want you to see is hard preaching, hard, hard preaching is something a lot of people complain about today. You know, it's like, you always just got to be, you know, whatever. But hard preaching, it goes all the way back to Acts. You know, we remember in, remember in, at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, what Peter say? He said, you crucified this man and you turned him over here. He's going to do the same thing right here. He's not going to beat around the bush. He's not going to say, now come on guys, you know we all just fail. And we all. He's going to point his finger. He's going to say, you, you did this. You, this, is, this is your fault. This is what you did. And uh, so that's what he's going to do. So, all that being said, y'all are real quiet. Peter is going to connect, once again, the Old Testament dots and show how Jesus is the fulfillment of all of these prophecies that has come before. Jesus is the fulfillment of Moses' words and, and, and writings. He's the fulfillment of the prophets. He's the fulfillment of all that stuff that's, that's come before. And he's, that's what he's going to do. He's going to show that. Verse 13 says, this is Peter's sermon. He starts off by saying, the God of Abraham... And of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers has glorified his son Jesus. And then I want you to watch all these Jews that he does. It says, whom you delivered up and then and, and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murderer to be granted to you. Verse 15 says, and killed the prince of life. Whom God has raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. Now, what a way to start off a sermon. Usually, you know, you need to tell a funny joke or something. You need to kind of get them involved. You need to kind of, okay, guys, you know, there was this man. He, no, Peter starts off and he, he connects Jesus to the Old Testament fathers. He says, look, this God that y'all are coming to pray to, this God that y'all are coming to worship, he has sent his son. He has fulfilled the promises. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has done what he said he was going to do. He's going to show us that, the covenant with Abraham at the end. But he says he's done what he said he was going to do. He sent his son, and you guys murdered him. You guys killed him. You denied him. You rejected him. He uses like three or four different verbs about you disowned him. You denied him. You rejected him. You handed him over. And he calls him. There's two words that he calls him. And uh, it's really... um, if your mind is steeped in the Old Testament like these people were, if you if you were, you know, you knew just from childhood all the prophecies, all the things, you know, that the Moses had said and Isaiah had said and all those things, it would have struck a chord with you. He calls them two different things. He calls them first, he said, he calls them, it's, it's translated here, son, uh, and it can't, there's nothing wrong with that translation, but it's also, it's the word that Isaiah uses to talk about the suffering servant. You know who the suffering servant is in Isaiah? Isaiah 52 and 53, where he said, My servant will come and he will bear the transgressions. You're wounded for your iniquities and by his stripes you're healed. It's all those prophecies about the servant. Uh, It's the same word that's used. So he calls him that and he calls him the Holy One. Now that's Isaiah's phrase. If you read the book of Isaiah, 
over and over and over and over again, he will call God the Holy One of Israel. You have come to the Holy One of Israel. The Holy One of Israel says this. The Holy One of Israel says that. And so here he calls Jesus the Holy One. So what he's doing is he's saying God has fulfilled what he said he was going to do through the prophet Isaiah by sending his servant, his Holy One, Jesus. And what happened? You killed him. You murdered him. You denied him. You rejected him. And then you know it had to have been a slap in the face when he said even this pagan... Pilate, the guy who was so cruel and heartless, even he recognized that the guy was innocent. Even he recognized that he, he, he wanted to let Jesus go because he, you know, of course his wife had a dream. He was scared. But even he wanted to let Jesus go, but you denied him. And then the culmination of this is he says, the guy who gave you life, the prince of life, the author of life, you killed him. The guy who gave you life, you took his life. And so he, he kind of just throws down on him, doesn't he? I mean, can you imagine? Hey, this guy just got healed over there. Let's go check it out. And then the first thing you hear is you denied him. You killed him. You, you know, it's like, dang, I didn't come here for this. I didn't come. I just wanted to see the miracle, man. I didn't come to hear all these things. Well, of course, you know that the Holy Spirit was pricking their hearts. And Peter, Peter and John were preaching to them. And he made sure, he made sure that they understood that that they had delivered. That word delivered is the same word that's used of Judas handing over Jesus. Delivered Jesus. They betrayed him. They betrayed the Holy One of Israel. Now think about this. You're, You're a Jewish man. You're a Jewish woman. You're steeped in all these Old Testament prophecies, all these teachings. I mean, that's your culture. That's who you are. That makes you who you are and you, you've known it from a very early age and then here you're coming into the temple and, and you're coming to worship you're coming to praise God yes hold on just a second uh, you're coming to do all these things and then all of a sudden this man comes in and of course he healed the layman and he tells you he says look God has finally fulfilled all the things that you've been waiting for and you murdered him you killed him I mean, can you imagine what kind of heartache? Can you imagine what kind of conviction that would have put on them? It would have, it would have shocked them. It would have rocked their world. It would have rocked everything about them. Yes. When uh, Jesus was telling Peter about his uh, upcoming death, Peter said, God forbid, you know, when Jesus said, well, get thee hence behind me, Satan, for this, I've got to do this. Right? And I've got to go be crucified. I've got to be nailed on the cross. What would have happened if the Jews accepted Jesus and not put him on the cross? Um, I mean, we could speculate as to what would have happened, but it couldn't have happened any other way. We're going to see that in this sermon, too. He's, we're going to, he's going to say, God, you did this out of ignorance. Peter's going to say that. He said, but God had planned this. God used this for his glory. God used this as his plan. This had always been his plan. And we talked about that, uh, I don't know, was it? I don't know, it's been a while, a month or two ago, about God's plan, man's responsibility. When we get to Acts chapter 4, they're going to pray. The church is going to pray and they're going to say that uh, Pilate and Herod and the Jews and the Gentiles all came together to do what you had ordained to happen. To do what you had planned to happen. That's Acts 4, what was it, 36 maybe? I don't know, we'll have to look it up. Well, I got an X4 right here. So, what would have happened? 
I mean, we could speculate, but there's really no, I mean, what, what happened is what happened. Does that make sense? Like, I don't know. He, he was born to die. He was a lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Uh, it, was, um, it was known, we've seen, we saw it when we went through the gospel, that Judas did exactly what, it was not, God wasn't up there going, dang, I didn't see that coming. You know, man, I wish I would have. This was part of his plan. It was part of his, his purpose for the son to come and die for the sins of the world. Not just the Jews, but the Gentiles as well. Make sense? So, Peter lays it down on them. Even Pilate saw it. They killed the giver of life. They chose a murderer. But before we get too hard on them, we do the exact same thing on a day-in, day-out basis. Every time... A lot of times we think of sin as a mistake. Uh, I stubbed my toe. Sometimes maybe it is a mistake. But that's not all that it is. When we sin, it shows us, it should show us, that our hearts, our minds, everything about us is rebellious against God. We're saying, God, I don't want your rule. I don't want your rule over me. Now, whether it's inadvertent or whether it's not, I once did a, I used to do this, uh, I used to go and attend this Bible club at the, the high school here in town. I wasn't running it or nothing, I just went, the students had to do it, you know, no teachers or anything could do it for them, they had to do it themselves, so all I did was go and listen, I brought them sausage biscuits, Jimmy used to make sausage biscuits, and I would go and bring those, um, and uh, there was one time this guy, uh, this youth leader, you know, if I called his name, you'd know who it is, he brought his youth group, and they did drama, and they did, I mean, it was really good, really good, I mean, they did acting. They, they just put on this presentation for the Bible club. And this one little girl got up to give her testimony, and it was all good. Uh, and she was a sweet thing. I don't have no reason to doubt her Christianity or anything like that. It was nothing like that. Uh, but she said, the, the words she said, I'll never forget. She said, I've always been a really, really good person. I've just made a few mistakes, and Jesus has corrected my mistakes. And so I'm thinking, uh, no. <laughs> No, that's not biblical. You and I mean, uh, you're sweet, but you and I, I never, I didn't say none of this to her. This is all going in my head. Uh, I'm like, no, no, we're we're rebels against God. We're we're not the victims. We're the we're the criminals, you know. And I'm looking over at the youth pastor over there, going, I mean, you gonna you gonna say, I mean, whatever. I didn't say nothing. That was all good. But that mindset is so prevalent. It's so prevalent that. You know, I'm a really good person. I, I, you know, God knows my heart and everything's fine. And, you know, sometimes I just stub my toe and I make a mistake and I do. And, and you know, you, you might have great intentions, but the heart is deceitful and it's wicked and it wants to do what it wants to do. And you and I are, we are rebels against God. He is the king ruling his kingdom, and we're the insurgents trying to kick him off the throne and take over. Uh, and it's only by, and that makes, I, I know that sounds rough, but doesn't that make God's love look so much bigger? Because yeah. if I was God and you try to take my throne, I'm going to lightning bolt you. I'm going <laughs> to be gone. But that's not what God did. Instead, God said, look, these, these rebels against me, these sinners, these, 
They, they are trying to overthrow my rule. I mean, we can't overthrow his rule, but that's what we think. You know, we, we're, trying to, we're trying to be our own God. We're trying to be our own Lord. He said, they're, they're subverting my word. They're subverting my, my lordship. They're subverting my rule. Uh, but instead of killing us like we deserve, he sends his son to die in our place so that he could forgive us. And so that's what Peter is, Peter is doing this here. He's, he's telling them, he's going to start off by saying, look, you guys have killed the prince of life. All the stuff that you've been waiting for, all the promises that God has made to you, all the things that God has always said he would do in your life for the life of this people, for the life of this nation, have finally come to pass. And when they came... You killed him. I mean, you murdered him. You turned him over to Pilate. You crucified him. And so Pete, Peter is really getting, he's getting down and dirty with him. You know, he definitely wouldn't have made a good pastor. They would have fired him the first, the first <laughs> week. Verse 16 says, and he explains how this man was healed. And his name, notice the emphasis on his name. His name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, made him whole, made him complete, whom you see and know. Yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Now what is he saying right there? That's kind of a confusing sentence, isn't it? He's kind of saying, he kind of repeats himself two different times about his name, then he repeats himself two different times about how the man was made whole. He says, and his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong or whole, whom you see and know. His name, through faith in his name, has made this man whole. He says, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. So how did, how did, let me ask you this, whose faith was it? Was it the healed man or was it Peter's faith? It was the healed man. It was the healed man? Okay. I don't have no, it really doesn't exactly tell us, so I don't have no trouble with that. Uh, but did Peter have faith that the man would be healed? Remember how the man was healed? He didn't say, just get up and walk, and the man got up and walked. What did he do? He said in the name of Jesus. He said in the name of Jesus, stand and walk, but then what did he do? He grabbed him and yanked him up. Yeah. Come on, you know. Can you imagine that? What are you doing? Let go. Yeah. The, it, it, I think it was both. But it doesn't really tell us whose faith it was. I do believe that the healed man had faith because later on, Peter's going to, when he gets arrested for healing the guy and for preaching, he's going to point to the man and say, look, his faith has made him whole. Look, look you know, he's a whole uh, standing in front of you because of what Jesus did in his life. He's going to point to that. So, yes, the healed man did have faith in Jesus. Well, the healed man. But he, it never showed that. It showed that he willing immediately gave his hand. And he stood up. And also, that, yeah, Jesus would be in the midst. That's right. Yeah. And, and the guy, when he was healed, he went nuts praising God. You know, like he was equating what this name of Jesus, what Peter had done, with God. He was 
praising God for his healing. He was jumping and shouting, hallelujah, and all, all those and things. And most of the time when Christ, when Jesus Christ himself healed people, he always told them, by your faith. Your faith has made you whole? Yes. Yes, I agree. And so it says, by faith in his name, this man has been made whole. I think that what he's pointing to, what he's pointing to, all that's correct. What he's pointing to is not just, hey, this guy had faith and he got healed. But it was the object of his faith. Remember what he said at Pentecost? He said, now, if you want to be cleansed, remember, we talked about repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus. And we talked about how the Jews had a baptism for everything. You know, if you were unclean, you had to be immersed and then you'd be clean and you had to go through the ritual and whatever. So you could go back into the temple. Well, now Peter's saying, look, you cannot be clean. You cannot come out of this uncleanness unless you do this in the name of Jesus. And here he's saying, by the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. It's faith in the name of Jesus that has made this man whole. I think he's pointing, the, the, the central purpose of what he's saying is that all this is going on now by the name of Jesus. It's no longer, hey, I'm coming to the temple and we're going to praise God, uh, you know, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. No more is like that. You cannot come to God anymore without coming through His Son. That's what Jesus Himself said. No man comes to the Father except through Me. And so, everything that we do, every prayer that we make, every, you know, whatever, act of service, every whatever, it has to come through the name of Jesus. It has to come by His authority. It has to come... Uh, based on the sacrifice that the Son of God made to make us right with the Father. And that's what Peter's pointing to here. He's pointing to, the, to them to show them, look, I didn't heal this guy. I didn't, I didn't just walk into the temple today and just make, you know, did a miracle and yay, it's a wonderful thing that God has done. This has come about in the name of Jesus Christ, the one who you crucified, the one who you denied, the one who you handed over, the, the one who gave you life, and then you killed the one who gave you life, the prince of life, you killed him. And so he says, he says, uh, you know, this guy was... Uh, uh, from birth, he was uh, lame. Only God's going to heal a guy that could be lame from birth. There could be no doubt about the miracle. But he makes sure they know that it was in the name of Jesus that he did it. He's really got them on the hot seat, don't you think? I mean, he, if, you, if there is any kind of conviction going on in the crowd, they are thinking, oh, no. This is what we've always heard about. This is what we've always waited for. This is what our parents told us God was going to do someday. And we have killed him. We have allowed this. And I don't even know for sure, and I can't prove that all these people in the temple were actually even there. They were part of the people that killed the Messiah. And so Peter points the finger at him and says, you've done this. Can you imagine the conviction? Can you imagine the, you know, oh, I'm sure there were people in the crowd. It was like, okay, this, uh, I didn't do nothing. But for the most part, people were convicted. The Holy Spirit was moving. And it's going to show us that when 5,000 people get saved. And another aspect of that, just, you know, tearing the first part, he was made into perfect soundness. And being steeped in the Old Testament, you know, every little thing that you did that was wrong, you had to have a sacrifice or, like you said, a ritual for. So just through that name, Jesus... You know, to have that associated with the word perfect, I'm also sure it was quite 
I'm sure it was. I'm sure it was. And in verse 17 through 18, let me read those. It says, and now, brethren, I what? Which means I know that through ignorance you did it, as did also your rulers. But those things which God before hath showed, this is what we're talking about earlier, Kenneth. It says, but those things which God before hath showed by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ should suffer, he hath so fulfilled. Now, doesn't it seem like he's letting them off the hook? I mean, it seems like, okay, you killed him. You handed him over. You murdered the author of life. You wanted to murder. And now he's saying, all right, look, guys. I know you didn't really know that it was. Why is he letting them off the hook? He didn't do that at Pentecost. Remember when we studied the Pentecost sermon? He was fire and brimstone. You need to repent and turn back to God so the time, you know, so you can be forgiven. You, you know, you guys have murdered him, you've crucified him. He didn't let him off the hook at Pentecost. Why now do you think that he is saying, look, I know you guys did this in ignorance. And your rulers did this in ignorance. To open up the door and let him know it's not too late. Yeah, definitely. Definitely not too late. Definitely not too late. But I also think that I also think that remember at Pentecost when the miracle was going on, tongues of fire and the speaking in other languages and all that kind of thing. What were the people doing? What what did the people say about that? They were mocking them, wasn't they? They were saying, "Look, these guys all drunk. Look at them. You know, they were." Peter was letting them have it. Peter was letting them have it, not because because they were anti. They were they were coming against. Here, you don't see that. You see, you know, I, I can see a whole crowd, and I'm just using some sanctified imagination here, but you, know, you can see a whole crowd of people going, oh no, what, what, have, what, we, we what have we done? What have we, what have, you know? And he says, he, he's saying, look, I know that you, you didn't realize what was going on. You didn't realize who this was. He says, your rulers didn't realize who this was. He says, but those things which God before has shown by the mouth of all his prophets. He says, all the things that the prophets have said would happen to the suffering Messiah. God fulfilled those and he did it through you. I mean, that's got to be a bad feeling to know that God fulfilled his plan through my ignorance, through my sin, through my through my whatever. And so he says to them, he says, this is the solution. It's not too late. It's not too late. Even for these who, I mean, can you imagine, you and I have done bad things and, you know, we've done all kinds of things. But can you imagine getting accused of killing God, of killing the author of life, of killing the Messiah whom you've heard about your whole life that was coming to save everybody and to, and to redeem the kingdom of God? Uh, can you imagine being accused of killing uh, God's Messiah, he says, even now, verse 19 says, if you would repent, repent ye therefore, and be converted, turn around, turn back to God, that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. He says, if you would just repent, doesn't matter how far you've gone, you've done probably, uh, I'm thinking out loud here, but You've done probably the worst thing that anybody on the planet could ever do. You knew there was a Messiah. You knew He was coming. And when He showed up, you murdered Him. 
That, I mean, you can't get no worse than that. He said, but even now you can turn to God. You can repent and turn back to God. You can be converted. That word converted means to turn around. They had come to the temple to praise God, to worship God, to pray to God. And Peter was telling them, you cannot worship God. You cannot, you need to turn to God. And the only way to turn back to God is to come through Jesus Christ. He's preaching them the gospel. He's telling them the only way that you can come to God, the only way you can find forgiveness for this thing that you've done, for this thing that you are, is to come through Jesus, to turn back to Him and to cry out upon Him. And he says, so the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. That's uh, Old Testament language talking about the time of the Messiah, the time of the kingdom. He says, the kingdom has come. The time is here. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel is what he's telling them. Same thing Jesus said at the beginning of Mark. Um, he says that when you do this, verse 20, I'm going to speed up a little because we're running out of time. It says, and he shall send Jesus Christ, which was before, which before was preached unto you. He'll send Jesus Christ. What does that mean? It says, you repent, turn back to God, times of refreshing will come, and he'll send Jesus Christ to you. It means, well, uh, it's kind of a trick question because it tells me what it means in the next verse. But in a real sense, he's talking about Jesus coming to them by the Holy Spirit. He's talking about Jesus coming to them. But he also means that Jesus Christ is going to come again. He's going to come again. He's going to consummate this kingdom. Uh, right now the kingdom is here. The kingdom is real. It's breaking into reality and people are, are being healed. God is moving. God is speaking to his people. God's ruling in their hearts. God is in control of all things. His kingdom is a reality, but it's not perfected yet. It's still, it's been inaugurated as Jesus has come in the flesh and, and, and bore the sin of the world and the cross and all those things. But it's not consummated yet. It's not perfected yet. We still live in the fallen world. We still live. There's going to be a time when Christ returns again and the times of refreshing is going to come. There's going to be a time when Christ returns again and all this that's wrong is going to be made right. All the sin is going to be wiped away. All the curse of the, the fall is going to be gone. He says that, I take that, because of what the next verse says. He says, if you repent, verse 20 says, He shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you. Then he says, whom the heaven must receive until the times of the restitution of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of His holy prophets since the world began. So what is he saying? Right now Jesus is going to heaven and He's seated at the right hand of the Father. His ministry is still continuing because Peter and John have just ministered. Jesus has just done a great work through Peter and John. His ministry is still continuing as he intercedes for his people at the right hand of the Father. But right now he is in heaven at the right hand of the Father. But there will come a time when he will be sent back to us. And all things will be made right. All things will be made new. Creation will be perfectly redeemed and made over. And then the last one, two, three, four, five verses of the chapter, um, Peter teaches Jesus. He preaches about Jesus from Scripture. Remember, we saw that in Peter's first sermon, didn't he? He didn't just stand up and say, hey, guys, this is a guy named Jesus. And guess what happened? And he takes the Old Testament and opens it up and shows them this is what it's all about. This is what all the prophets have prophesied to you about. This is what Moses told you was coming. This is from Genesis 
all the way into Malachi, this is what this book is about. It's about Jesus. He says, For Moses truly said unto the fathers, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren, like unto me. Him shall you hear all things whatsoever he shall say to you. And it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. Now, that's Deuteronomy, let's see, I wrote it down. Deuteronomy 18, verse 15 through 20, that he's quoting right there. And what Moses is doing is, Moses is going, uh, Moses is uh, about to, the people are about to go into the promised land. Moses is not going to go with them. Remember, Moses disobeyed and and God said, you're not going to enter the promised land. I'm going to let Joshua take him in. And so Moses was about to die and he was giving them a speech. He was giving them three speeches actually in Deuteronomy. He was telling them about what was going to be when they cross over into the land. And they were like, Moses, you're not going to go with us. You're not going to, you know, whatever. And uh, Moses said, look, God's going to raise up a prophet among you. He's going to raise up one um, and, and you're going to listen to everything that he says. You're going to submit to him. You're going to do what he says. And everyone who does not follow this prophet, everyone who does not submit to him, he's going to be cut off from his people. He's going to be destroyed from the people. What he was saying was to be, you know, God is going to, he was prophesying. God is going to raise up this prophet like you've never seen before. And you're going to listen to him and he's going to lead you and he's going to guide you. And if you won't follow him, if you won't submit to him, then you're going to be cut off from your people. And so Peter is taking what Moses said in Deuteronomy and he says, Moses was talking about Jesus. He was talking about what Jesus would do, what he would come and what he would say, uh, us submitting to him. And then in verse 24, it says, yea, and he says, all the prophets, you pick a prophet, all of them. He says, all the prophets from Samuel and those who follow after, as many as have spoken, have likewise foretold of these days. Um, he's saying, all the prophets have been, been pointing toward this right here. What you're seeing, what you're hearing, the, the, the miracles of Jesus, the death and the resurrection, the salvation of the world, the, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit onto, onto all flesh. All the prophets that have come, even Samuel, which we really don't consider him a prophet, but he was. uh, Samuel, all the way to the prophets that came after him, they all prophesied about this time that's going on right now. And he says, you are the children of the prophets. Verse 25, you are the children of the prophets. He says, and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, and in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. He's saying, you're children of the prophets. You're children of the covenant. God made the covenant with Abraham about you. He said, in your seed, all the nations will be blessed. And so he says, you're children of this covenant. But he also said, 26, unto you first, God having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from his iniquities. He's saying Jesus is the fulfillment of the covenant that God made with Abraham. Do you see that? He said, look, you're the sons of the covenant. The covenant was made with Abraham, and so God has sent this fulfillment to you first. He says, you know, over and over again, Paul said it's first to the Jew, then to the Greek. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. He says, you are the sons of Abraham. You're the sons of promise. You're the sons of the covenant. You're the sons of the prophets. 
He said, God has fulfilled His word to Abraham. He has fulfilled His covenant. The covenant promise has been given to you. And now you have to repent and you have to trust it. What's the implication? The implication is that if you will not trust this promise, if you will not trust this fulfillment, same thing Moses said, if you will not hear this prophet, what's going to happen? You're going to be cut off from your people. You're going to be cut off. And so we see now that at this time, all the way up until Acts chapter 7, the only people in the church were Jewish. The only people that Jerusalem was the center of the world. That's where Jesus' ministry was going on. If you wanted to come be part of the church of Jesus Christ, you had to come to Jerusalem. And then it was only after Stephen was killed that they spread out and went and started obeying what Christ told us to go to the end of the earth. And so uh, he's saying, look, the promise is fulfilled. This is what they've always been talking about. It's here. The covenant promise is here. The fulfillment's here. Just come and receive this Jesus. And a lot of them did. We're going to see in the next chapter that 5,000 came to know him. And a lot of them came, but a lot of them rejected him as well. And he sent that same, that same gospel, that same promise, that same covenant out, out of Jerusalem into Judea, into Samaria, and then into the ends of the earth to call all who would come to be part of his family in Christ. Okay? That makes sense? Any questions? All right. I guess that's it. We're going to do a thing Friday? Yeah? Okay, I'm going to let Dana handle it. Where you come to the house and eat, and then you